0: It's an important day. Three years ago today, our church almost unanimously affirmed the, the vision that our elders and that our leadership were proposing for our church to become a multiplying church that establishes campuses locally and plants autonomous churches locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally, setting a target date for that transition for our church to be complete of Uh, 2028, which is our 50th anniversary as a church. And as I've reflected on 15-plus years of being the the pastor, lead pastor here at Blue Valley, I think that that is probably the most significant Sunday uh, in in my tenure here. There, There have been other Sundays that are perhaps as significant, but I can't think of another Sunday that was more significant than that Sunday three years ago today, and I think the future of Blue Valley is going to bear that out. Pastor Micah, Fire Marshal Micah from our Ridgeview campus, was probably the first to grasp how significant that day was for the future of Blue Valley, and it led him to suggest that we devote this Sunday, which just so happens to be the Sunday before Thanksgiving every year, to celebrating what God is doing in our church as a result of our multiply vision. And so we are going to do that today by looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So if you would, please find that in your copy of God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to use that to guide us in the direction of answering what I'm calling and have called for a year now, our million-dollar question. What is our million-dollar question? Well, you'll have to stay tuned uh, to find out. So, I hope you are looking for 2 Corinthians chapter 8 in your copy of God's Word. Raising money uh, for a ministry need isn't the invention of a modern church. I think sometimes we may think it is, but it's it's not, and our passage today is actually proof of that. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church and uh, uh, following up with them regarding a previous commitment they had made to donate to something that for today's purposes we're going to call the Jerusalem fund the Jerusalem campaign it was an effort that Paul was spearheading to raise relief funds for the beleaguered followers of Jesus in Jerusalem who had been marginalized vocationally because of their commitment to Jesus they weren't able to find employment and they had been cut off from uh, the, the the Jewish uh, system of taking care of people in need so it was an opportunity For individual churches in less dire straits to participate in something that was greater than themselves beyond their kind of local walls as it were but it was an also an opportunity for them to experience something greater than themselves because generosity I don't know if you've noted this generosity is not something that comes naturally to the human heart true sacrificial generosity, the kind that cuts into our needs for the well-being of others, particularly of people that we've never met, requires Christ himself working through our lives. So the opportunity to experience Christ's work in their lives is actually what Paul is talking about in the first several verses of 2 Corinthians 8. There was a time, as we'll see, when they had been willing to give to this fund. However, for reasons that are not clear to us anymore, they had kind of grown lax in taking up a collection, stopping altogether. There could have been any number of issues that had prompted them to back off their initial commitment to contribute to the Jerusalem Fund, but the reasons really don't matter to us today. What matters is that their commitment had waned while the need to give had not. So Paul gets to do every preacher's very favorite thing to do. He gets to talk to a church that's reluctant to give about giving. Who wouldn't want to be that dude? He was really excited about this, but Paul doesn't back up from a challenge, and so he begins to talk about uh, reengaging their generosity by pointing out the generosity of churches in other regions, particularly the impoverished region of Macedonia. I want you to look at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia, for in severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. These verses make it very clear why Paul is talking about the generosity of these churches. They had in severe affliction an abundance of joy and in extreme poverty a wealth of generosity. In other words, these people who had every right to hang on to every dime they had were graciously giving this up with joy, and they were doing so abundantly and eagerly. How eager were they to give? I want you to look at verse 3. For they gave according to their means. In other words, they gave what they could, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected... That they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That's pretty eagerly. I mean, these afflicted and impoverished people were begging, Paul, for the opportunity to contribute to the Jerusalem Christians. And what motivated them? What motivated them was the primary principle of stewardship for a follower of Jesus. In their minds, they had already given everything to Jesus at the moment of their salvation they weren't just saying here Jesus is my sin and I've got it from here they had surrendered everything including their material resources to Jesus and so in their mind he was just taking what was his and putting it to help others this is the foundational principle of Christian stewardship it is the conviction that everything we have is the Lord's and the belief that he will direct us to give what is rightfully his to others as he sees fit. And here's what Paul is wanting to see in the Corinthians, verse 6. Accordingly, we urged Titus, his protege, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. He had sent Titus to go back to the church in Corinth and talk to them about reengaging this commitment. He's wanting to see, in other words, this same grace that had been manifested in these other churches manifest itself in the corinthians grace because it's not natural at all for us to view what is ours as not being ours it's not natural god has to do that so let's pause right here and look back for a moment when we launched The Multiply 2028 campaign to fund our initial multiply initiatives and to retire debt so that we could fund multiply initiatives, things like planning campuses, planning autonomous churches, well into the future. We couldn't have imagined. I mean, we couldn't have dreamed. We couldn't have written a book fantastic enough to talk about the obstacles that would be in our way corporately as a church and individually as a church family. In other words, three years ago today when I stood in this place... And our church and both campuses together overwhelmingly affirmed that this is something that we should do you couldn't have convinced me that five months later a virus I'd never heard of would keep us from meeting for three months as a church you couldn't have you couldn't have convinced me with everything in you that that was going to happen and I think sometimes we forget how rapidly and swiftly all of this came upon us in my mind I'll never forget I was at the Ridgeview campus on Sunday March the 8th for a luncheon where I explained to the last remaining group of adults at the in the in in the Blue Valley system what the multiply 2028 campaign was and answering any questions and I told them as we broke I said now this campaign will start the end of march that was march the 8th 2020 i didn't know that sunday that that was the last sunday that we would meet for three months i i i couldn't believe it you you couldn't have imagined that that was going to happen well we as elders and leaders decided you know we got to pull back from that we can't do that right now and so when we finally did start meeting again the first sunday in june we added the service uh, which again, uh, we had the last service, uh, the eight o'clock service, uh, this morning, and they'll be uh, filtering in here n- next week. So don't fight them for your seats when they show up in here. When we when we gathered that Sunday, there were 300 or so people on both campuses in worship, 300. And so we thought, wow, it's going to take some time for people feel settled, feel like they can navigate this thing well. So let's put off. Let's put off the the raising of funds until things calmed down in november of 2020 i don't know if you remember november of 2020 but i mean on top of covid we added racial strife and we added political strife it was the most difficult time in american life that i can remember i was alive in 1968 i wouldn't read newspapers in 1968 so the the time that i can remember that was the most difficult was uh, that end of year in 2020. And yet we thought, you know what? God's called us to do this. We're going to start giving anyway. And so this Sunday, two years ago, we started to give. What has happened since that happened, since we started giving? We have funded our first plant as a church, Overflow Church in Martin City. They're getting ready to baptize their first convert. And they've only been open to the public, as it were, since the middle of of October. Uh, Mission Esperanza is our Hispanic mission of Blue Valley. It's going to move towards being a a campus of Blue Valley. If it hadn't been for a sickness today between the 930 service and the 11 o'clock service at Ridgeview, we would have baptized our first convert from Mission Esperanza. We have funded and planted, in partnership with Compassion International, our first international church plant in northeastern brazil we have funded as a church 200 children who are attending the compassion project of compassion international at our church that we have planted in brazil on top of all of that we have retired over a million dollars worth of debt a million dollars worth of debt and in in the past year when you take all of the money given to all possible sources of giving here at Blue Valley. Blue Valley has taken in more money to all causes than at any point in our church's history. I mean, we've done that in the face of obstacles. Now, before we bend ourselves over backwards, congratulating ourselves, let's just make sure that our struggles are not Macedonian struggles, all right? We are not impoverished by any means. We have an abundance but there are headwinds against us as individuals economically and against us corporately as a church culturally that make this the most difficult environment for raising funds for ministry that we have seen in any year since the Great Depression. And yet God, God has graced Blue Valley with what it needs to give in in a way that it has never given before. And for that, we should all be grateful. But that's not the end of Paul's challenge to the Corinthians, nor his challenge to us. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, And in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And there is a a tendency for us to think when we read that verse, think, well, if I don't want to excel in that grace, it's not that big a deal, is it? I mean, isn't giving sacrificially kind of like the luxury model of Christianity. I'm really looking for a mid-size or budget version of Christianity. I mean, I, I can drive manual and I can roll my own windows down. And to everybody younger in this, we used to actually have to roll our windows down in cars. If I don't want that, it's not that big a deal. I can still exist. But I want you to notice, I hope you saw it, all of the ordinary aspects of following Jesus that Paul mentioned. And Paul says you need to excel in in giving to meaning that right here Paul is saying that giving sacrificially is entry-level Christianity it is part of the normal Christian life and then he doubles down on that thought in verse 8 I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine now he's saying in context That to proclaim that you love other followers of Jesus and that you love the church without doing anything to meet the needs of that church or its members is to call into question not only the genuineness of your love for them, it's to call into question the genuineness of your love for Jesus. He's saying that generosity is that important to spiritual health. So how do we attain a generous spirit? Not by trying harder and not by going to financial peace. All right, how does he do it? Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's saying that we obtain this from Jesus himself, which is the same source of all of the other things that are a part of the Christian life that we obtain. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, our lives become the vehicle through which Jesus lives his life here on planet earth and so because he demonstrated for our salvation this generosity it makes sense that when he inhabits our lives he's going to manifest the same sacrificial life in our own and so with that in mind he issues this challenge and in this matter I give my judgment this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. He challenges them to re-engage their commitment to give. And then he says this, verse 12, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. In other words, he's not asking them to give what they don't have. It's, it's according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time, he's saying it may not always be this way, but your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance in a future time may supply your need in a future time so that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's saying a few things. I'm not asking you to give what you don't have. I'm asking you to realize your relative wealth compared to the need of others, and I want you to utilize it in enhancing and furthering the kingdom. Which brings us to answering the million dollar question. And what is the million dollar question? Well, it's the question I challenged our staff with at staff retreat last spring. I was looking and actually paying attention, which is not a strong suit. Uh I was paying attention to some presentations that Pastor David, our pastor of operations and outreach was making about how we were doing with multiply and we were just amazed at what God was doing and and I could project based on what he was showing us that by the time we reached this day, the day we celebrate multiply, and then finished out through the re- end of the year that we would probably by the end of this year drop below a million dollars worth of indebtedness which our church when I got here just to note when I got here 15 years ago we were in debt over 1.6 million dollars and that expanded and contracted and expanded and contracted but what I was seeing is that for the first time in a generation of this church's history we were going to be below a million dollars that's amazing it still amazes me but when we came to that final million I knew people would say okay now that we're you know below a million What are we going to do with the money that we free up in debt retirement funds once the debt is paid off? That's the million-dollar question. What are we going to do with the money? Well, a bit of a reality check here. Some of what we free up, some of it, will be required to right-size our budget. While it's true that we've taken in more as a church to all causes than at any point in our history some some of the giving to the Multiply 2028 campaign has come at the expense of the budget. In other words, it is almost guaranteed, we have no way of knowing for certain, but it is almost guaranteed that some of you have given to the Multiply campaign instead of the budget, and we've been navigating budget shortfalls ever since. That's actually something that you expect when you're going into a campaign over and above your budget. So, we're certainly going to need some of you who have shifted your giving or who have started giving to blue valley by giving to multiply to transition at least some of that giving back to our regular budget because all of our long-term multiplication efforts are going to be funded through the budget even then even with some of that shift back some of that two hundred fifty-two thousand dollars that we have in our budget for debt retirement will have to be used to right size our budget in other words we're gonna have to take some of that to get even but let's say hypothetically, that after right-sizing our budget and seeing those who have been giving exclusively to multiply 2028 begin giving for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time to the budget, let's just say hypothetically, mainly because I'm math challenged and the math on this is easy, let's just say that we free up $100,000 in our budget. What will we do with that? That really is the million-dollar question, and that's the question I put to Pastor David and a small group of elders and staff at staff retreat this past spring. I mean, their job essentially was, how are you going to use more money freed up than has ever happened at Blue Valley? You think, well, I'd like that job. I'd like to spend that money, but it's not as easy a question as you might think. Because on one hand, of course, we have our multiply vision. It's not just words on a paper. We really do want to become a multiplying church, and doing that will take money. But on the other hand, there are some things, as is kind of the normal course of things, that we've left undone, particularly with our facilities. The carpet below us in the Fellowship Hall area of this campus is original equipment. I mean, it was, it was put in in 2001, and it's stayed there. The carpet beneath your feet Um, is 13 years old and in constant need of somebody to come in and love it back to health in other words we've got thousands of square feet of carpet on borrowed time the fascia of the antioch campus the outside of this campus has not been repaired or painted since the building was constructed in 2001 we are approaching Eight years since the remodel of the Ridgeview campus and while it's still holding up very nicely, I work there every week and it's really looking amazingly well, we've got to think about updates in the next few years and we've got to think about replacing its west parking lot. We have playgrounds on both campuses that are in disrepair and we need to get those fixed and they need to become ADA compliant so children with mobility problems can actually play on our playground. Some people say, well is that needed? Well maybe it would be if our playgrounds are ADA compliant and I really want us to think about that. I mean maybe the reason that we perceive it's not needed right now is because we're not welcoming. That's got to be taken care of. We've got interior painting, We've got touch ups that need to be addressed. So you see the dilemma facing Pastor David and his team. How do we steward that freed up money that allows us to prioritize multiplication without neglecting the facilities from which we multiply? And so, how did they answer that question? Remember, I wanted to keep the math easy. It's the reason I chose $100,000. What they're recommending is that we allocate, when that money's freed up, 60% annually to multiplication, 40% annually to ongoing capital improvements. So let's just take a moment as we wrap things up today dreaming about what it might look like to have $60,000 available annually for multiplication, $40,000 available annually for ongoing capital improvements. In terms of multiplication, which is our priority, if we take that money and pair it with money made available through the SIN network of the North American Mission Board, it would allow us to always have with us uh, a campus planting resident or a church planting resident. We had, as you know, Alan Finley with us as our first church planting resident, and he left uh, to to go plant Overflow Church with a group of people uh, from uh, Blue Valley. Uh, in in our conversations with him, he has said, you know, in the few months that I was there, it's really not enough time. I would I would recommend that as you do this in the future, you budget 18 to 24 months for that resident to actually really get to know people and people to buy into what they're doing and so it is recommendation that's what we're going to be doing but if that money is freed up and paired with the money from the sin network we will always be able to have a, 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 a planter in residence in other words um, it will. and I'm not meaning to be funny it may sound funny but we'll always be pregnant as a church we'll always be ready to send out either a campus or to establish a church having that money freed up would allow us to continue adequately funding the things that we have birthed, like overflow church in martin city and to help people that grew up in blue valley that are church planters like adam bailey who's planted multiply church in west des moines iowa and it would allow us to set aside money to launch a second international church in partnership with compassion international i mean stop and think about it i mean We've done something that most churches never do. We planted a church in another country, in another hemisphere. I mean, we've done that. And it'd be real easy to say, well, check. But we don't believe that God has called us to do that once. We believe he's called us to become a multiplying church. That is, planting churches like that. And so, setting aside money would be part of the uh, use of that money when uh, it is freed up. And then there's a whole lot of other things that clearly the Lord hasn't shown us yet that he would direct our attention to. That's what we could free up with the debt paid off and multiplication funds freed up. But in terms of capital improvements, that $40,000 would help us, for instance, paint and repair uh, the exterior of the Antioch campus and to plan for the replacement of thousands of square feet of carpet and to send it to, I don't know, the Smithsonian or something, uh, or to have a shirt made. Uh, for me, uh, using the carpet, particularly downstairs, which I'm quite fond of. Um, So we could do that. It would allow us to begin fixing the west parking lot at Ridgeview. It would allow us to start setting aside funds for playground renovations. We have had in our hands, in our hands now, because Dr. Tracy has done it well, we have had in our hands the plans to do all of that, but we haven't been able to fund it because we've had money tied up elsewhere. And so it would allow us to start setting aside funds to get that done. And that's just a snapshot of what's available if we free up just $100,000 in our budget. If, for instance, God allowed us to, to see folks take that giving to multiply and move all of it to the budget, then we would free up all of that $252,000 and then some that is going towards debt retirement. And what could we do then with the 60-40 split with the whole $252,000? I mean, it's exciting to think about. And here's the deal. It's not something that we are looking at hopefully one day might happen. We're going to retire the debt, barring something catastrophic happening in our world. We're going to pay off the debt. The things that I have just talked to you about, we're going to be able to do i mean this is this is this is the plan we're going to be able to do those things so what do we do today i mean knowing that it's going to happen anyway what can we do today well let me challenge in closing a couple different ways first let me challenge you if you've never given if you've never given or, or maybe you've given before but you've started coming to Blue Valley over these past few years and you just haven't picked up the habit of giving that you did practice in your previous church. These last six weeks are critical for the financial health of the rest of the church year and our absolute most pressing need uh, is for, uh, for giving to the budget uh, these next six weeks so that we start the the last part of our church year which runs through August in good financial shape if you've not given if you've not been a giver I would encourage you to just try for the next six weeks the habit of giving I would encourage you and here's the thing here's the thing we know we don't know who because we don't look at that thing we're a million miles away from it but we know that there are large numbers of people that come to Blue Valley that don't give regularly or at all now we've got a huge group that give much more than uh, what most churches get to experience by way of percentage. In other words, that whole 80-20 thing where you've got 20% giving 80%, I mean, we we blow that out of the water because we've got committed people. But there's still some people who haven't given. And I get that sometimes, uh, I mean, those reasons are huge. I mean, not necessarily in this service, but in our previous service, a fixed, fixed income. Some of you are raising children. My kids are grown, but I do know that's expensive, Uh, Trust me, I know that that's very, very expensive, and that can be very difficult. So I understand the difficulty in giving. But Scripture's not asking us to give what we don't have. Scripture's asking us to give what we do have to the Lord and let Him multiply. So if you're not a giver, let me encourage you for the next six weeks to start the practice by just giving to the budget. Okay? Because that would help us. Now, there are a large number of us giving sacrificially already. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that. Normally, these sermons can be, you know, some of you aren't giving. uh, Those that you are need to give more. I'm not saying that to you. Uh, Thank you for your giving. But finally, let me say this. Uh, I don't know who you are, um, but there are people in any church but in particularly blue valley who may be blessed with the means to give substantial funds if uh church life has taught me anything these last almost 37 years it's that the biggest financial gifts come from very unlikely sources it's people that you would never a- expect and we wouldn't know who that would be anyway so again i don't know who you are but you know if that's you i would simply say this I believe that the resources exist at our church to pay off the last million before the end of the year I believe that and I've been regular regular in praying uh, before God that he would send us the gifts to retire this debt by the end of the year so that we could start uh, 2023 in our future so that we could begin to have that money set aside so if that's you I would encourage you to pray about maybe the Lord being able to Maybe partner with others to be able to pay that off. And if the Lord wills it, uh, we can pay off the debt by December the 31st. But it may be part of the sanctification of Blue Valley Baptist Church that we have to scrap and fight for every single nickel and dime. And if that's part of it, I'm good with it. I really am. I'm good with it. Because there's always benefit from the Lord in, in us being obedient as we possibly can be. But if the opportunity exists for us to take care of all of this then that would be a tremendous thing, and the future would be now for Blue Valley. I know, trust me, I mean, I don't do this very often. Those of you who have been coming for years know it's been a long, long time since the last time I preached a sermon on money. I know how difficult it is. It's almost like I'm preaching to an auction. You know, you're worried that any movement's going to make you buy something. So, you know, you're sitting very, very still. Look, I know it's tough. I get it. I I know it's tough. Um, But I wouldn't do it if, first of all, Scripture didn't show us a pattern of that, and I wouldn't do it uh, to ask you to do something we've already put behind us, which is build a big old campus around a singular personality and become Johnson County's newest megachurch. We're doing it, and we're asking for it because we believe that God has called Blue Valley to stay light and mobile on its feet and to sow seeds of the kingdom as far as we can sow them. And you're here because of that. Pastor Jonathan, huge encourager of me, said to me this week about something else. I don't even remember what it was like, what it was, but he said to me, he said, look, Derek, if if you were going to run them off, you would have already done it. (laughs) So... So, you know, we're, wasn't that funny? Come on. (laughs) But we're here together. After all of this, after all of this, we're here together. And I think God's got the brightest days for our church ahead of us. I love you. I believe God's prepared me my entire life to pastor this church. I do not believe it is his will that uh, the unique damage of me being a pastor is inflicted on any other church before I retire. I think we're in this together all the way through, and I think God's got some great, great things for us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together.